This is the Green Industry Podcast with Paul Jamison. Join Paul as he chats with today's green industry experts and leaders about how to build a successful business and live a purposeful life. Here's your host, Paul Jamison. Well, a warm welcome from the beautiful state of Georgia. I'm excited today. We're going to interview Rich Jansen. He has been in the industry for 30 years, started out doing landscaping, and uh, now he owns his own irrigation company. 30 years of knowledge in the green industry. Welcome to the show, Rich. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate you having me on. Well, we are excited to uh, learn from you three decades uh, doing this. Tell us a little bit about how you got started and how you got from there to where you are today. Well, I started out in the uh, green industry, actually in high school, a friend of mine. Uh, we started a, a small lawn business and then uh, went on to, uh, I attended uh, college and uh, specialized in landscape management, and then started my own company at the uh, age of 19. But I quickly learned that I didn't, you know, know what I was doing. And I, I think that's one of the biggest problems in the green industry is we have a lot of people that know how to do the work, know how to get production done, a lot of type A personality people, you know, that want to, uh, you know, if you don't get out of their way, they'll run you over kind of people, you mm-hmm. know, they're, they're movers and shakers, but they don't know how to run a business. And, um, that's what I want to talk to you a lot about today is, you know, really you need to be a student of your business and the industry in which you work. Wow, that's so good. So you've done landscaping for some large companies and now your own, you know, your own irrigation company. So you've learned a lot um, along the way. Do you want to start with what you've learned from your own company or what you've learned working for these larger companies? Well, I'll start with what I learned from the uh, working for larger companies. Um, you know, after my... Uh, basically my failure in my first business, um, you know, I went to work for uh, several large companies, but in I, be, I quickly became a student of what they do. And the, the large successful companies, they really work on their pricing. They're, um, they have a, a structure of how they price and they price the jobs the same way every time. And then they evaluate on a monthly basis they look at the jobs that they did in the past month and they want to see if they hit the profit margins that they were shooting for, or if they missed it, why did they miss it? And if they need to make some changes, uh, or if it was just a one-time thing that ran into something that was unusual on that job that took more time than what they had allotted. And, um, you, you learn to, you, you study these traits and these habits and, um, really become a student of your own business because everybody's business is different, you know, and your customer base is different. Um, So, but you want to, at the end of the day, you want to have more wins in the profit area than you have losses. And if you find yourself losing more than you're winning, then you need to re, you know, evaluate how you're pricing and what you're, why you're missing it. Is it efficiencies? What can you do to make yourself more efficient? Um, but you never want to cut corners and, uh, you know, give up quality for efficiencies. So when you're working for these larger companies and they have, they have their monthly goals, do they, they set that, you know, before the month and say, this is the profit margin we want to hit for the upcoming month. Is that kind of how they run it? Well, they have sales goals that they do that. So they have their sales team that is trying to hit those monthly targets, but, each job that they perform, they want to earn a certain amount, you know, percent profit percentage. 
So um, at the end of every month, you know, at, when the job is done, you want to look at how the job performed. Mm-hmm. And um, you can do that, you know, as, the, as you close out the job, you can look at the hours spent, the materials spent, um, what your overheads were, and what your profit margin ended up being on that job. Um, you know, I work for a really large company, one of the largest in the United States, and they, we sat down every month and we closed our books out. And they, that was really eye-opening to me, you know, how detailed they were about what they were doing. There was nothing, there was no guesswork. There was nothing, they weren't out there winging it. They had a process that they followed each and every time, to, and that's why they were so successful. What, when you say uh, profit margin, was there, what percentage, you know, what was the goal? What was, what was a win and what was a loss? Well, you want to hit, you know, they're, they're looking to make, you know, gross profit. You want to try to, you want to be making around 50% or 60% gross profit every month. Uh, I mean, on every job, you know, your, your net profit at the end of the, at the end of the day may only be. 10 to 12% by the time all your overheads, insurances, labor costs, everything's taken out. But And you have to account for all that. You can't just, you know, look at the jobs and say, okay, this is what my material is, this is what my labor is, so I'm going to charge X amount. You know, you have to take into account that you're, if you're running a viable business, you're going to be insured, you're going to have maintenance on your trucks, you're going to have time in the office, and you have to account for all that time. And how it's do you, all business expenses, right? Other than the insurance and and all the the basic overhead, how how do they account for the taxes in that uh, equation? Well, your taxes are going to come out out of what your profits, uh, you know, the amount of profit that you're making. So that's going to be a separate issue, you know. But I would say um, for small companies, and even in my own company, what I do is, you know. Somebody gave me the advice years ago was pay yourself first. So with every check that comes in, you should be taking 10 to 15% of that check and putting it in a business savings account for taxes and later in other expenses that are come, will come up. Um, and then as your account grows to, to the point where you have a substantial amount of money in there, then you want to move it from a savings account to a money market account so you can gain a little bit of interest. You know, you're not going to gain a whole lot of interest in the banking industry right now, but you can do small things to keep improving on what your gains can be. So if you have a thousand dollar job come in, you would suggest, let's say you take 15% of that $150 top line revenue on the job. You got a thousand dollar check to put 150 of that in a savings account for your quarterly taxes? Between 100 and, 100 and 150, yeah. Um, that's I would definitely do that. Because otherwise, what happens is, guys, you know, if, if you're not putting money away, you're spending everything that comes in, and you're so busy doing work, and you're so busy, you know, in the height of the season, if you're not disciplined enough to put that money back, then at the end of the year, that's when people get caught with, you know, when they do their taxes, oh, I don't have the money. How am I going to pay for the taxes that I owe? Mm-hmm. You have to put it away as you go. Wow. So so when you got a lot of checks coming in, you take the time each check to pull, pull out the 10 to 15%? Yes. 
you have to be very disciplined about doing that. I used to not do that. And then once I started doing that, my business changed. Wow. Everything, everything changed. And, um, and it, it's not, you know, you're, you're running a business, you're bit, all the money you get in your business is not yours. You have to put money aside to keep the business going. You have to, that's why I always say, you know, and I do it myself, get a payroll company. We're not CPAs, you know, we're, we're landscapers, we're professional in, in the green industry and, um, use a payroll company, they will take the money out of your uh, your checking account when payroll is due and include yourself. Pay yourself a check. Um, it makes things easier when you go to get loans. You have a pay stub that you can actually present because we're self-employed. Then, you know, a lot of banks and lending industry institutions are a little um, leery about how they're going to lend money, but if you can give them the documentation that you have pay stubs to back up what you're making, then, you know, it makes things a lot easier. And they, they will send in, you know, they're, they're taking the money out of your account for your taxes. They will send in your quarterly returns. This way you don't have to mess with any of that. And then I would always recommend getting a CPA and deal, sitting down with them and figuring out what your quarterly taxes should be so you can send in your quarterly taxes Mm -hmm. this way again at the end of the year hopefully you don't have to pay or if you do have to pay you've already prepaid you know three quarters of it that's so good that's so good rich so what's been your biggest mistake in this three decades of doing this working for big companies running your own companies you've failed one you got a successful one you sold one um what, what's been your biggest mistake or mistakes if you have multiple ones you want to share uh, that you've made and you know what have you learned from those lessons over these three years 30 years well the biggest mistake the absolute biggest mistake i made was with my first business you know i ended up owing the irs thirty thousand dollars and they are the worst people to owe money to so you that's why I'm, so you have to be so disciplined um, because their taxes, their penalties and interests are, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I kind of relate it to the mafia. You know, it's <laughs> like you're l- lending money from the mafia, you know, and, and it's our government, you know. But um, you never want to get in debt to the IRS because that is a hole that is hard to get out of once you've uh, gotten in deep. Um, other than that, you know, is not really paying attention to all the details of the business side of the business. You have to know what your expenses are. Um, don't when like with your suppliers. The more you spend and the more uh, you are loyal to your supplier, you're in there all the time. Don't be afraid to ask for better pricing. Mm-hmm. The more you spend, you should be getting better pricing tiers. So your materials are costing less, and then you, therefore that your profits will increase because you're not going to lower your price. You know to make up for what you're saving you want to just keep in increasing your profit margin so what your thirty thousand dollars in debt to the irs after your first failed business how did you get that i'm assuming that's paid off now how did you clean that up and get current with them basically my wife at the time had a we had a, a newborn you know a fairly new baby uh, only about a year old she went out to work, she got a job and she got me out of that debt. 
Wow. I wasn't at the time. I wasn't able to get myself out of that. That I wasn't making enough money, and um, she had to go out and go to work and and just to pay that off. And once that was paid off, um, we vowed never, you know, for a while we vowed never to go back into business. But then after learning from the larger companies, actually how to that I work for, how to run a business and how to be successful, then we decided in uh, 2006 to uh, go back into business and have uh, you know been at it ever since. So before you started working for these larger companies, you know, you said you had lawn care landscaping company that got you into the big IRS debt. But then when you you um, transitioned from the large company, what made you uh, want to do irrigation versus lawn care landscaping? Well, I had gotten into irrigation uh, back in 1998 as a, when I was working for um, you know the larger company and uh, I became a student of the trade and I learned you know how to do the how to, not only how to do the work proficiently and develop my expertise in that and it's a specialized trade um, you know to me it was presented more of a challenge than just going out planting bushes and cutting grass you know so I that's the side that I liked and it you know uh my mechanical side kicked in and and I really enjoy it. Um, and now I enjoy teaching others, you know, the guys that work for me, uh, to, to be, you know, professionals at it, be, um, you know, to learn their trade and to, I give my guys tests. I make up tests and I give them tests to test their knowledge to make sure they're constantly learning. And I, um, there's, you know, the different manufacturers and stuff have uh, websites. You can do online courses, um, and I would suggest doing all that. You know, the more knowledge base you have, the, you know, the more that you can charge for your expertise because you, you are uh, truly a professional in, in your industry. Mm, that's good. So what would you say, Rich, to um, somebody who's just getting started, you know, they're in year one, and they're just getting started. Should they start their own company? Should they go work for one of these larger companies? Should they start in lawn care, landscaping, irrigation? They just got a niche that, you know, they want to they wanna make a living. They got basic equipment. What's the best way to, to start? What, you know, you would tell yourself 30 years ago, if you could, the 30-year-old the Rich could sit down, or, you know, 30 years later, Rich could sit down with that other young gun Rich 30 years ago. What would you tell him? Well, I would tell them to actually, if if, if they're if they haven't been in the in the industry at all, or if they're you know only have a few years, absolutely go work for a larger company. Don't fight it. Don't go into business for yourself until you really know what you're doing. Um, there's a lot of you know you don't want to if you want to have a successful business and be considered a uh, professional in the air, in your industry, no matter what part of the green industry you're in, whether it's lawn care, landscaping, uh, you know, uh, lawn maintenance, irrigation, lighting, you need to do what um, your passion is, you know, and because you want to enjoy going to work every day, but you don't want to feel like a rat in a wheel because you don't know what you're doing and you uh, are, you know, keep failing because you keep making mistakes because you don't really know how to price stuff or have ever been around the structures of watching somebody that's successful 
go through it, you know, and uh, really be a student of not only business of the industry, but also the business side of the business. You have to know how to run a business. So let's say we got a guy, he's in lawn care, he's, you know, in his first few years and the customer calls and says, Hey, you know, saw your truck in the neighborhood. I wanted you to come give me a lawn uh, to cut my grass each week, you know, during the spring, summer and fall while it's growing. Um, And so now you got this opportunity to go give a quote. How do you go from that phone call to actually, actually giving them the correct rate to perform their service for just a basic mow edge and blow trim the bush lawn care maintenance? Well, I mean, every area in the country is different, so it's kind of, you know, but you have to look at, um, if you're already in the industry and you're already doing it, look at the lawns that you're uh, currently servicing. Measure the square footage. That's that's another thing these large companies do. They send somebody out or they, they measure every square footage of the turf area, of the bed area that has plants in it that are going to have to be trimmed, of the bed areas that are going to need to be either mulched or pine strawed. And they, you have to come up with a system that is, um, so you can price these jobs the same way every time. It's not, you don't just pull up to the house because you're in the neighborhood, get out, kind of put your thumb up, look at it and say, ah, that's a $60 a month, you know, a week job. You have to really have a, system in place and you know there's a lot of suppliers that offer classes that you can take uh community colleges have estimating classes that you can take um you know if they're if they offer landscaping um take advantage of that you know county extension agencies a lot of times will have you know different classes that you can take um and you need to put yourself into those classes and to actually learn what you're doing so once you have the the square footage and you know, okay, this is a five thousand square foot yard. How, how are you coming up with this number? Because you hear these companies say, you know, I, I'm fifty dollars a man hour. I'm forty five a man hour. I'm fifty five a man. Hour, I'm sixty a man hour. I know you irrigation guys. You're big money. You're I'm hearing one fifteen an hour. Just crazy numbers. Like, wh- wh- where do you pull that number out of the air from? How, how do you calculate well, there's, that? There's kind of an industry. You have to look at there's and there's there's studies that you can look at too that there's industry standards you know you don't want to you can't you know just say i'm going to be 110 dollars an hour when your industry the average rate is 53 dollars an hour you know uh for long long maintenance say um or maybe it's 35 dollars an hour and especially the area of the country that you live in you know um if, if you live in new york up in new york or New Jersey, your hourly rate may be $75 an hour. If you live in, you know, Mississippi, it may be $35 an hour. It's it's going to depend on where, you know, what the market is that you're serving. So how, how and, do you- and one of the things, you know, I took a estimating class in college, and I've shared this with you before, Paul. It's the, one of the biggest things that I had a professor tell us is, you don't want to price if you're getting every job that you're pricing, you're probably your prices are probably too low. If people are the minute you give them a price, if they're jumping on it and saying yes, do it, you you, you need to look at that. And maybe your your prices are probably too low. 
On the other side is it's okay to walk away from a job if, if it's not going to be profitable, like to not take the job. If a customer says, well, you know, XYZ company will do it for, and, you know, almost like in half of what you're wanting to do, okay, walk away, you know, have a good day. Um, because you don't want to pay somebody to do work at their house or on their property. At the end of the day, we have to make profit. We're professionals. We're not there to, you know, write them a check for, and say, thank you for letting me work on your property because I just lost, you know, $1,000 on this job. So how do you, I mean, you've been doing this for 30 years. You've, you know, you've worked for so many different uh, customers, whether it's for your own company that you own or for these larger companies, how have you learned to kind of vet customers? Are there certain red flags when you're given a quote or when someone calls or, uh, you know, just learning to read people? Because I could share all kinds of stories of people that have, you know, taken advantage of me or just what wasn't pleasant to work with. What have you kind of learned, per, you know, in personal communication of when you're given a quote of kind of what to look for when you're vetting a customer? If, if this is this could be a red flag. This person just said that, and in the past, you know, you know, you know, what I'm trying to get at here. Yeah, um, you know that you, ha- you know, in the industry that I'm in, we subcontract to other a lot of landscape companies because we're we specialize in irrigation. Mm-hmm. So um, in those companies, I would I would do some background checks on the company that. Uh, how they handle their business, you know, ask them for some references, um, whether it's, uh, suppliers that they deal with. If they, if, if a kind like in my instance, we do more commercial work. If the company that wants me to do work for them, if they're not paying their supplier on time, they're not going to pay me on time, mm. you know? And, you, you want to know that kind of information. If it's, if it's residential customers and you're going to go do a project, ask for a deposit. You know, we're, we're professionals in the green industry. We're not banks to be lending people interest-free loans, you know, to lay out all of our money for all the materials um, and hopes that they will pay us when the job is done. And then when we get the job done, we kind of get a little bit of the runaround or, you know, they want things and make sure your contracts when you do it, you set up a job are very detailed as to what the customer gets. If it's not on the, the sheet that they sign and they say, Oh, well, I thought we were getting this. Well, it's not here. It's not, this, that's not what we agreed to, you know? And, um, you, you just have to be professional. You don't have to, don't be intimidated by customers and they have to have some skin in the game too. If they have an investment, if they've given you 50%, a 50% deposit. Um, and some people may be leery about, you know, laying out money up front. That's fine. When I show up to your property with the material, I need a check before we start work. Or I need a 20% deposit to schedule the job. And then you get the other 30% when you show up with the material. So the worst you're out is you're out 50% when, you know, you've got your material and and some of your labor covered by getting that deposit up front. So when in landscaping, for example, let's say you're doing four pallets of sod and putting in a few bushes and a couple trees, you would suggest getting that in writing, you know, X amount of trees planted, this amount of, 
you know, pallets of sod planted and we're going to, you know, everything's written down, have them sign it. And then you think 50, 50 or one third, one third, one third, what's, what's the best way to, to cover ourselves and have them have skin in the game? Well, I would like, uh, I think they need to be 50%. If, if at all possible, 50% uh, invested with you. Um, and then that could, like I said, it could be you, you take a 20% deposit to schedule the job, and then you get the 30% when you show up to the job with the material and ready to go to work. And then at the end of the day, or if it takes, if it's a two or three day job, at the end of the job, you get the other 50%. So, um, but absolutely, you know, if you're, if your process is you're going to go in and you're going to till up their yard and you're going to add, amendments and topsoil that all needs to be spelled out and when you do the job you need to do what you said you're going to do mm-hmm. and you know they sign off on it and you sign it too so that is both parties agreeing that this is what you're going to get and when we come to do the work um if you're putting in sod and it's up to them to water it's their responsible responsibility to water that sod for x amount of days otherwise it voids the warranty that needs to be spelled out mm-hmm. so they you know if, if they have an irrigation system you know you want to make sure it's in working order before you do the job because if you go ahead and do the job and they have a broken irrigation system they'll say oh you broke it mm-hmm. you it's good to practice to go through these systems irrigation especially in residential they're usually not very elaborate systems but some can be but um go through the take the time to go through it check it make sure the system actually works so these larger companies you've worked for they have everything spelled out very clear when they're doing these installations yes very clear and really you know some of the you know the bigger companies because of the relationship they have with their, their customer base they may not get a deposit every time but they're but on the big jobs, they will absolutely will. I mean, they're because they look at it that the same way I just explained it to you. We are not banks. We are not um, in the lending industry. We are professionals in the green industry. Um, you know, you could for the smaller companies, myself included, take credit cards. You know, Square will give you a device that'll work off your phone for free. And if you have to charge them a percentage to use a credit card, at least you, that money's going into your account. Mm-hmm. You're not waiting on a check, or you know if if the credit card, if it gets declined, you know you might be in, you might be having trouble. But if you check, if the only thing you do is take checks and the checks bounce, then you're running after money, you know. Um, and that's another you know part of the business that. We shouldn't have to deal with it. You know, you try to eliminate those things, those uh, those snags. Yeah, I got yard books this year, and uh, they have I, – I got my customers on card on file. I, you know, yesterday was the first of the month, so I charged them all for this month. And uh, that's really been helpful switching over to that this year. So yeah. you've done jobs in the past where you're done, and then the, che- the check's not there. They're not home, or there's some kind of story. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had a this was this was years ago. I mean, I, I had a guy pay me fifty percent up front, you know. So, and even in times that you get your deposit, 
you still could be chasing after the, the second 50% when the job is done. You know, not everybody's ethical. Not everybody's on the up and up. So what so, happened there? You sound like you had a story to that one. Well, you just had to, I had to chase it. You know, I ended up, it was, you know, six, eight weeks before I finally could get all the, get paid for the, for the job, you know? And again, you know, that's all that money that should have been going back into the business to keep me operating. And, you know, that I had, that I wasn't able to collect right away. And so, you know, these are the things you learn and you, you get to feel people out. So even with residential customers, you know, ask them for references of other contractors that, that have done work for them. You know, if, uh, if you have any doubts in your mind, you know, about what kind of people they may be, if you have never done any work for them or don't know anybody that really has, or, you know, depending on if they just called you out of the blue or if they were recommended by somebody, you know, the best customers to have are the people that you're currently doing business for that recommend you to their friends. Mm. You know, if, you, if, if you're working for good people, chances are they hang around with good people. So That's good. And then one last thing I want to know about this pricing. And I mean, I've been blessed to get to sit down with you at the kitchen table and, you know, you kind of analyze some of my numbers. But for the guys that, you know, aren't in 30 years of experience or just getting started what are some metrics that you really want to make sure you're, cal- you know, you're calculating and, and you're, um, you have written down that you can kind of study, am I being profitable? Am I being efficient? You know, I know these large companies, they probably have all kind of different data points that they're analyzing. What should the younger, you know, the people that are younger, newer in business, what should they definitely be tracking and then analyzing that data to make sure they're on point? Uh, you need to track your your material costs, your labor costs, um, your if you if you need to rent equipment, um, if you even if you own equipment or have purchased equipment but are paying loans on that equipment, you need to put some uh, you know you need to account for that equipment on every job. That job you need to charge for that. Um, for that piece of machinery out there, that that's not a free, you know, and that, that's what I think a lot of people they get intimidated or they they have this equipment but they don't charge extra for the equipment, the the hours of grading or that they're using the for the actual machine, their fuel costs. You have to your, your insurance costs. You you can take your insurance costs and divide it out as to what it costs you a year for your liability and your workers' comp insurance. And add, make sure you add that factor in on every job because um, these are your overheads that you have to cover. That's good. Well, maybe we can do a part two someday because you're just getting started, but I, I do have to go. This has been a wealth of knowledge, 30 years in the green industry, a failed business, a successful business. You sold a business. Maybe we can chat again and you can share, you know, kind of lessons learned about selling a business and all of that. Uh, but I, I really appreciate your time, Rich. This has been so helpful, and I'm sure it's going to really help out a lot of a lot of people. So thank you for your time. Well, thank you for having me on, Paul. It was good. And, uh, you know, probably I was thinking the same thing before I got on with you. This is probably going to be you know need to be more than just a, a one-time thing you know, because, like you said, we're just getting kind of you know this is right the, the tip of the iceberg as to what we're just uh, starting talking about, but. 
I appreciate your time and all that you're doing to promote the industry. Absolutely. We'll, we'll plan on a part two. I appreciate your time. Thank you.